Welcome to the Horai Podcast, where we explore the intertwined stories of music and history. We are your hosts, a historian and a musician. We hope you enjoy this journey through time. The history of music is as old as the history of humanity, and therefore music developed in parallel to the social changes within human societies, along with other branches of art. The perception of beauty in art has led to the emergence of different experiments and changes in style over time. Around the 18th century, when scientific studies started to reach a little more maturity, The growth of music throughout the ages became a subject of interest. The academic study of music would need another century to have a head start. Musicology scholars, according to the historical musicology studies, they conducted in the 19th and 20th centuries, divided the history of music into neatly organized periods of time. Antiquity, which lasts up to the 5th century, the medieval period from the 5th to 15th century, the last 300 years of the medieval period, is also called the Gothic period. 15th and 16th century as the famous Renaissance, 16th and 17th century as the late Renaissance, in which early Baroque encompasses the reforms linked together, 17th and 18th century Baroque, that coincides with the age of reason in history. 18th, 19th century as the classical, that is, enlightenment period. This period is also called the neoclassical period to dispel the confusion it may create with the classical period of ancient Greece. 19th, 20th century as the romantic period. And lastly, 20. 21st centuries as the modern period also known as contemporary music in music history. The historical study of music is heavily concentrated between the music of Baroque, classical and romantic periods since it could not be recorded beforehand the distant past of the music is named the early period and the near past and the present of it is named contemporary music which is generally the period when listeners tend to stay more distant. Of course, it should not be forgotten that these periods were named much later that time had to pass in order to define and name the periods, how they affected each other and the spread over a long period of time. Since each period prepares for the next, they cannot be separated from each other completely because of the intricate relationship between them. As the names suggest, Western music has experienced a long process of development. 
This podcast will be centered around Western music and our journey begins in Mesopotamia. The emergence of Western music starts from ancient Greece in earliest sources, before Common Era. Pythagoras, whom we know from math class, also studied the relationship between music and mathematics, and he is accepted as the first music scientist in the history of music. Pythagoras, who was originally from Samos, has been lovingly commemorated with a sculpture of a right angle in Samos Island. There are claims in various sources that Pythagoras learned much about music from the Babylonians in Babylon, where he stayed for a few years. It has begun to be accepted that the first to formulate the music theory were the Mesopotamian civilizations, because although the history of Western music was thought to have been shaped around ancient Greece until the 20th century, with the new archaeomusicological discoveries, findings encountered one after another in such a way that the root of music history turned from west to east. For example, the oldest written music that can be reached is from the 15th century in BC. It is an ancient melody from the 1400s and is derived from cuneiform scripts found in Syria and was unearthed in the 1950s. It was also published in a book called Archaeomusicology of the Ancient Near East. The dozens of music texts found only one that remained intact was performed. However, the next example with clearer data is the Seikilos hymn, one of the oldest surviving music as the existing records regarding its reinterpretation are contradictory. The notes of this hymn were also revealed by archaeologists on a tombstone found in Aydın, in present-day Turkey, dated back to 200 BCE to 200 CE. It is predicted that it may belong to the year 100 BCE, and there are many examples of arrows recorded today. The common point of these early music samples, whether instrumental or vocal accompaniment, is that they were composed of frequently repeated and short interrupted musical motifs, even though they had different recordings. It is still possible to observe similar features in children's songs or in popular music. There is still conflicting historical information about early musical samples. Throughout this podcast, we encourage you to keep an open mind and consider the possibilities on the path that music took from the distant past to the present day. Some of that path is fragmented, and some of it is clear as day, and we will all discover it together. Music is an invention of humanity, and this is how the story of humanity began. Out of Africa and into the rest of the planet, humans are one of the most widespread and resilient species alive today. We operate in social environments as social creatures and thrive best when we are in tight-knit communities. Everything we have ever accomplished has been done as a collective and is no single achievement and is the work of a single individual. Because without community, we wouldn't survive. We have started our journey as hunter-gatherer societies living in pockets throughout the planet once we migrated out of Africa within the last 200,000 years since we first came onto the evolutionary scene. 
and as the name suggests, hunter-gatherer societies base their subsistence and social structure on the practice of hunting animals and foraging plants in the environment that they lived in for food, for clothing, for medicine, and other purposes such as rituals or accessorizing or painting. By the time we started living in hunter-gatherer communities though, we had mastered the art of tool making and thus translated the skill into making what we need to subsist on nature such as weapons uh, to uh, hunt animals or different types of butchery materials to uh, be able to slice the flesh of the animals that we have hunted. Like wolves, we are excellent pack hunters and pack animals in general as social creatures as I've mentioned before. <laughs> And our use of tools gave us an edge that equated us with our fanged and clawed friends in the wild. Most of our religious practices, or what we know from archaeological data, has involved some of nature veneration from our most ancient past. And since we lived so closely and tied to the land, our survival largely depended on it. Many of the animals we hunted and the plants we gathered later took on the uses for ritual purposes. Societal structure of hunter-gatherer societies involved groups that went out for the hunt and groups that stayed in care for the household. And through this division over a period of time, a new way of subsistence would emerge. And we call this agriculture. Humanity mm -hmm. took the first steps of its journey towards the civilized world and the process that started approximately 12,000 years ago. Humanity sowed the first seeds of civilization as we know it today. Neolithic revolution began as humans left behind their lives of hunting and gathering. They started their new lives of agriculture to live in more settled communities. This process is known as Neolithic revolution, which is the bedrock of civilization as we have come to know it. This change occurred independently in various locations throughout the world. One of the cradles of agriculture in the Near East is Anatolia, which was home to many communities, big and small, spread across the land such as Çayönü in Diyarbakır, Caferüyük in Malatya, Aşıklıhöyük in Aksaray, Kuruçay in Burdur, Çatalhöyük in Konya, and in While several theories surround how exactly agriculture as a practice came to be, there is consensus on it arising from people experimenting with the seeds they had through the plants they had foraged from the wild. We may never know how people came to figure out that selective breeding of a crop over time would lead to it becoming more suitable for regular use, which is called domestication. But sure enough, they learned it through trial and error. Domesticated crops such as wheat and barley, due to the conditions they require to grow into, pushed people to lead more settled lives around sources of irrigation uh, for the fields that they may plant, such as springs and rivers that they can carry or hose the water from. For this reason, many of the world's earliest permanent or semi-permanent settlements have been around great alluvial plains or rivers and around river valleys as they are the most accessible sources of water for farming. After a long and cumbersome journey through the ages, we have arrived at the rise of early river civilizations. 
A civilization is made by its environment, and an environment is shaped by the civilization that inhabits it. This has been the most true for the early river giants of antiquity. We start exploring them by starting with Sumer. Ancient Sumer is the oldest known civilization of the Near East and possibly the most culturally influential one during its prime across the Mediterranean. This, of course, does not include Egypt, whose culture and advancements remain somewhat insular compared to the influence we see that the ancient Sumer had over the eastern shores of the Mediterranean, but more on Egypt later. For now, we'll talk about Sumer. These kings of the marsh begot two of the most important inventions known to mankind, the wheel and writing in a proto-alphabet, also known as cuneiform. Their mastery over the Euphrates and Tigris rivers built them a society where a need for these revolutionary inventions would arise. For them, it was only a practical solution to practical problems, as all inventions this great would turn out to be. But before we talk about the peoples of the marsh, let's talk about the riverlands themselves. The Euphrates and the Tigris rivers are what's called a river system. Two rivers, two main arteries, whose courses are parallel and whose capillaries are intertwined through a network of creeks and streams, creating a topography and a network of water that is dimpled by river water and is susceptible to annual flooding. As they are very old rivers, their course had become stable by the time people arrived in their region, as they had cut their deep bedrocks through the, through the ground. One can never speak of one of these rivers without mentioning the other, as together they form one body, and ancient Sumer was their first child. Ancient communities that settled around the Mesopotamian geography took quick notice of the fertility of the marshland that surround these inseparable rivers. But it is a point of curiosity whether they could picture that this geography would nurture their humble communities to a point where they would flourish as a Bronze Age global superpower several centuries later. Ancient Sumerians located themselves in the Near East, as we have mentioned, in present-day Iraq, which corresponds to uh, the location that they chose for themselves between the Euphrates and Tigris rivers, in the semi-arid and then wetland-covered environment. Their civilization was founded by farming communities located around the banks of the rivers who had innovative methods of agriculture, such as uh, methods of irrigation or being able to carry water from its source to their crop fields, which is how the communities were able to unite as city-states, well, not completely unite under centralized power, but form a network between them and maintain larger populations as well. This location is also close to where wild wheats have been found throughout the southeastern corner of Asia Minor, uh, which corresponds to present-day Turkey and it lies north of where ancient Sumer was located. And uh, this begs the question whether the peoples who have domesticated the wild wheat into the agricultural domestic wheat that we know and consume today were in fact migrated from the north to the south. Their subsistence method, like all other civilizations, was agriculture of wheat and barley and their steady crops, in addition to wheat and barley, included legumes, fruits, and vegetables that could grow as much as the climate of the area allowed. Agricultural activities in this land gave rise to systematic use of astronomy for calendar making in order to keep track of seasons, to keep track of the flooding cycles of the rivers, and the amount of time required to grow the crops 
in order to maintain a sustainable supply of food for the people. One of the gifts of their crops was the beer, which happens to be Sumer's favorite drink, and it was available to all levels of society to consume and enjoy at every public occasion, such as feasts and weddings. It makes frequent appearance in Sumer myths and legends as well. Sumer traded in all byproducts of agriculture, such as surplus, leatherworking, weaving, woodworking, metalworking, and pottery. Sumer's subsistence style that came from the, their crops determined their social structure. As mentioned earlier, the people of Sumer were organized as city-states spread throughout the river region. And these city-states were divided by canals, similar to other Bronze Age societies that had this type of organization. Each city-state was centered around a temple that was operated by the elite level. The temple as the administrative center continued on for several centuries, and gradually the temple's priestly elite as figures of power later on in their history were replaced by secular heads of dynasties that were not from the priestly class. This marked the start of the dynastic period and a shift in political structure for each city-state. Sumerian city-states encompassed an area with a diverse population of people, uh, while it's not possible to outright call it an empire due to how the cities were organized, it had multicultural and multi-ethnic characteristics with a central power that spoke an official language and sanctioned the official worship of certain deities. Among the people, as I have uh, mentioned earlier, different languages were spoken in addition to the Sumerian language, such as the Semitic languages, which were commonly and widely spoken in the Near East and Mesopotamia, as they are still spoken now. Sumer eventually gave way to a Semitic-speaking administration within several centuries as a result. The inevitable result of people living together is the emergence of a distinct culture. Sumerian culture is a direct reflection of the society that they have built. Sumer had a patriarchal and patrilineal structure like most other societies in the Mediterranean. These traditions set up by Sumer have been maintained by every civilization that succeeded it. Sumerians invented one of the earliest forms of writing called cuneiform. This was a writing system in which the signs equated to sounds, which is by contrast to other forms of writing from the era such as hieroglyphics, a writing system with a more complicated sound-to-sign relationship. It is believed to have been invented as a byproduct of agriculture and the need it created to keep records of cyclical phenomena as well as transactions within society based on agricultural activities such as purchasing of cattle. Sumerians believed in nature-based deities and had polytheistic religion like nearly all other cultures in antiquity. Their creation myths consist of these deities and how the natural phenomena they represent interact. Barter and credit economy based on agriculture and agricultural goods was how the city-states carried their economic activities. Sumerians were one of the civilizations that systematized their type of economy. Every civilization has a life and 
everything that has a life must run its course eventually and so was the case for Sumer. However, just like the spirits of the dead, they believed to be so prominent in their daily lives, the spirit of the civilization lived on in its most immediate successor, the Akkadian civilization. Akkad came into power in the coattails of Sumer. As a group of Semitic language-speaking people that lived, worked and accumulated influence neighboring the borders of the Sumer sphere of culture. Their exact rise to power is subject to some debate, but it is clear that they conquered the land of Sumer at some point in their history. Akkad took the Sumerian state model one step further and made the state they inherited into an empire instead of a semi-decentralized kingdom, which escalated the process in which Sumerian culture was consolidated and spread through their route of conquest. A discussion involving the Euphrates and Tigris rivers most involved the region from which they emerged, Anatolia, also known in the sources as Asia Minor. It is the next leg on our journey across Mesopotamia. Evidence of musical material culture in Anatolia dates back to Neolithic period. This showed to us that music has been heard at Anatolia for at least several thousands of years. What has been unearthed are iconographic evidences, objects used to make sounds and some of them could make loud noises like whistles, sticks and so on. Items used as daily basis in hunter-gatherer societies were also used for music. For this reason, we cannot consider that these items found in the excavations were made exclusively for music. On the other hand, we can claim that we have come across findings similar to percussion and wind instruments that were used for religious rituals or various ceremonies, which they considered to be special and included in their daily lives. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. it is difficult to determine which culture they belong to, as the pieces found in the excavations are broken. A growing variety of evidence indicates that mass dances, religious rituals for abundance and fertility were performed during this period, and instruments were used in these events. However, it can be said that this process is lacking in music culture and the significant part of it has disappeared due to the production of perishable materials. The musical structure of the period is tried to be comprehended with the comments made on the documents that have been obtained on a limited scale. Material culture produced in Anatolia during and after the Neolithic period 12,000 to 3,000 BC constitute the first important documents in terms of music history. Iconographic evidence and fragments of objects used to make sounds indicate that it is highly probable that the earliest expression of musical culture in Anatolia began in the Neolithic period. However, we can state that before the Neolithic, Nomadic hunter-gatherer groups may have used similar objects and they had to use objects that could make loud noises like whistles and sticks uh, in order to communicate with each other over long distances. However, 
due to the fragmentation of most of these archaeological objects, their function and characteristics constitute an important obstacle for us to have precise information about the interpretations based on their ethnographic counterparts. In addition to being musical instruments, these objects can have multiple uses, indicating they're practically in daily life. We hope you enjoyed this brief visit to Sumer as much as we have. These journeys that we have just started with you make us very excited. We hope our feelings are mutual. Wherever you are, we hope you're having a good day. We will see you next time. If you like to contact or to get more information about us, you can follow our visual storytelling page, The Horai, on Instagram. Cheers! Thank you.